Chapter thirty seven of Deerbrook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Deerbrook by Harriet Martineau. Chapter thirty seven. The Conqueror. Mrs. Rowland did not find herself much the happier for being borne out by the whole world in her assertions that Philip and Margaret were not engaged. She knew that, with regard to this, she now stood justified in the eyes of all Deerbrook, that almost every one there now believed that it had been an entanglement from which she had released her brother, from selfish fear, from dread of the consequences of going so far as to be again sent by her husband to Cheltenham, or by the Levitts to Coventry, from foresight of the results which would ensue from her provoking an inquiry into the domestic concerns of the Hopes, an inquiry which might end in the reconciliation of Philip and Margaret, and in some unpleasant discoveries about herself. She was very guarded respecting the grand accusation by which she had brought on her brother. No hint of it got abroad in Deerbrook. Nothing was added to the ancient gossip about the Hopes not being very happy together. Mrs. Rowland knew that affairs stood in this satisfactory state. She knew that Margaret was exposed to as much observation and inquiry as a country village affords, respecting her disappointed attachment, that the Greys were very angry, and praised Margaret to every person they met, that Mr. Walcott and Gluist Mrs. Rowland's discernment to all Mrs. Rowland's party, that Mrs. Howell and Miss Miskin lifted up their eyes in thankfulness at Mr. Enderby's escape from such a connection that Mr. Hope was reported to be rather flat in spirits, and that Margaret was certainly looking thin. She knew of all this success, and yet she was not happier than six months ago. The drawback on such successes is that they are never complete. There is always some Mordecai sitting at the gate to mar the enjoyment. Mrs. Rowland was aware of Mrs. James, having dropped that she and her husband had nothing to do with anybody's family quarrels, that there was always a great deal to be said on both sides in such cases, and that they had never seen anything but what was amiable and pleasant in Miss Ibbotson and her connections. She knew that Dr. Leffitt called on the hopes, full as often as at any house in Deerbrook, and that Mrs. Levitt had offered to take some of Margaret's plants to, into her greenhouse, to be nursed through the winter. She was always hearing that Miss Young and Margaret were much together, and that they were happy in each other's society, and she alternately fancied them talking about her, exposing to each other the inquiries she had wrought to both, and enjoying an oblivion of their cares in her despite. She could never see Maria taking an airing in the grey shrubbery, leaning on Margaret's arm, or Margaret turning in at the farrier's gate, without feeling her colour rise. She knew that Mr. Jones was apt to accommodate Miss Ibbotson with a choice of meat in preference to his other customers, and that Mrs. Jones had spoken indignantly to a neighbour about fine gentlemen from London that think little of breaking one young heart after another to please their own vanity and never come back to upon the eyes that they have made dim and the cheeks that grow pale for them. All these things Mrs. Rowland knew, and they ate into her heart. In these days of her triumph she moved about in fear, and no hour passed without troubling her victory. She felt that she could not rest till the corner-house family was got rid of. They did not seem disposed to move of their own accord. She incessantly expressed her scorn of the want of spirit of a professional man, 
who would live on in a place where he had lost his practice, and where a rival was daily rising upon his ruins. But the hope stayed on still. Week after week they were to be met in the lanes and meadows, now gleaning in the wake of the harwain, with Fanny and Mary, for the benefit of Widow Rye, now blackberry gathering in the fields, now nutting in the hedgerows, the quarterly term came round, and no notice that he might look out for another tenant reached Mr. Rowland. If they would not go of their own accord, they must be dislodged, for she felt, though she did not fully admit the truth to herself, that she could not much longer endure their presence. She looked out for an opportunity of opening the subject advantageously with Mr. Rowland. The wine and walnuts were on the table, and the gentleman and lady were amusing themselves with letting Anna and Ned try to crack walnuts, the three elder children being by this time at school at Blickley. When Mrs. Rowland began her attack, My dear, said she, is the corner house in perfectly good repair at present? I believe so. It was thoroughly set to rights when Mr. Hope went into it, and again after the riot, and I have heard no complaint since. Ah, after the riot, that is what I wanted to know. The surgery is well fitted up, is it? No doubt. The magistrates took care that everything should be done handsomely. Mr. Hope was fully satisfied. He was. Then there seems no doubt that Mr. Walcott had better remove to the corner house when the hopes go away. It is made to be a surgeon's residence, and I own I do not like to see those blinds of Mr. Walcott's, with that staring word surgery upon them, in the windows of my poor mother's breakfast-room. Nor I, but the hopes are not going to remove. I believe they will be leaving Deerbrook before long. I believe not. My dear Mr. Rowland, I have reason for what I say. So have I. Take care of that little thumb of yours, my darling, or you will be cracking it instead of the walnut. What is your reason for thinking that the Hopes will not leave Deerbrook, Mr. Rowland? Mr. Hope told me so himself. Ah, that is nothing. You will be about the last person. He will inform of his plans. Mr. Walcott's nearest friends will be the last to know, of course. Pray, do not make me out one of Mr. Walcott's nearest friends, my dear. I have a very slight acquaintance with the young gentleman, and do not intend to have more. You say so now to annoy me, my love, but you may change your mind. If you should see Mr. Walcott, your son-in-law, at some future day, you will not go on to call him a slight acquaintance, I suppose. My son-in-law, have you been asking him to marry Matilda? I wait, Mr. Walland, till he asks it himself, which I foresee he will do as soon as our dear girl is old enough to warrant his introducing the subject. Her accomplishments are not lost upon him. He has the prophetic eye, which sees what a wonderful creature she must become. And if we are permitted to witness such an attachment as theirs will be, and our dear girl settled beside us here, we shall have nothing left to wish. To speak of something more nearly at hand, I beg, my dear, that you will hold out no expectation of the corner-house to Mr. Walcott. As it is not likely to be vacated, has the rent been regularly paid so far? To be sure it has. By Mr. Gray's help, I have no doubt, my dear. I have no doubt. My dear, I know what I am saying. The hopes are as poor as the rats in your granary, and it is not to be supposed that Mr. Gray will long go on paying their rent for them. Just for the frolic of sustaining Mr. Hope against Mr. Walcott, it is paying too dear for the fancy. 
the hopes are wretchedly pinched for money they have dropped their subscription in the book club i am very sorry to hear it i would give half i am worth that it were otherwise give it them at once then and it will be otherwise i would gladly but they will not take it i advise you to try however it would make such a pretty romantic story while mr grey is extremely mortified at their withdrawing from the book club he remonstrated very strongly indeed that does not agree very well with his paying their rent for them perfectly well he thinks that if he undertakes the large thing for the sake of their credit they might have managed a small this is his way of viewing the matter no doubt he sees how their credit will suffer by their giving up the book club he sees how everybody will remark upon it so do they i have no doubt and the matter will not be mended by sophia gray's nonsense what absurd things that girl does i wonder her mother allows it only that to be sure she is not much wiser herself sophia has told some of her acquaintance and all deerbrook will hear it before long that her cousins have withdrawn from the book club on account of hester's situation that they are to be so busy with the baby that is coming that they will have no time to read as long as the hopes are above false pretenses they need not care for such as are made for them there show mamma what a nice plump walnut you have cracked for her nicely done my pet but mr rowland the hopes cannot hold out they cannot possibly stay here you will not get their rent at christmas depend upon it i shall not press them for it i assure you then you will be unjust to your family you owe it to your children to say nothing of myself to look after your property i owe it to them not to show myself a harsh landlord to excellent tenants but we need not trouble ourselves about what will happen at christmas it may be that the rent will make its appearance on the morning of quarter day then if not you will give them notice that the house is let from the next quarter will you not by no means my dear if you do not like to undertake the office yourself perhaps you will let me do it i have a good deal of courage about doing disagreeable things on occasion you have my dear but i do not wish that this should be done i mean i desire that it be not done the hope shall live in that house of mine as long as they please and if continued mr rowland not liking the expression of his lady's eye if any one disturbs them in their present abode the consequence will be that i shall be compelled to invite them here i shall establish them in this very house sooner than that they shall be obliged to leave deerbrook against their will and then my dear you will have to be off to cheltenham again what nonsense you talk mr rowland who should disturb them if you won't be open to reason so as to do it yourself i thought you knew enough of what it is to be ridden by poor tenants to wish to avoid the plague if warned in time but some people can never take warning let us see that you can my love you will remember what i have said about the hopes being disturbed i have no doubt and now we have done with that i want to tell you presently when we have really done with this subject my dear i have other reasons which you will spare me the hearing my dear priscilla there are no reasons on earth which can justify me in turning this family out of their house or you in asking me to do it let us hear no more about it but you must hear i will be heard on a subject in which i have such an interest mr rowland 
Ring the bell, my little fellow. Pull hard. That's it. Candles in the office immediately. And Mr. Rowland tossed off the last half of his glass of port, kissed the little ones, and was gone. The lady remained to compassionate herself, which she did very deeply, that she could find no means of writing herself of the great plague of her life. These people were always in her way, and no one would help her to dislodge them. Her own husband was against her, quite unmanageable and perverse. End of chapter 37